Thanks, Kate. Let's pray, shall we, as our gifts are brought forward. Well, we've just been singing, we want everyone on earth to know your name, and that is our prayer this evening. We pray that you'd use these gifts and those that have gone directly through bank accounts uh, to that end, that everyone might know your name and praise you. And we pray that as we listen to your word now, so we too uh, would bow before you and praise your glorious name. Amen. Great. So you take a seat, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much, students, for uh, your hard work. I was incapacitated last week, and they've put this together pretty much on their own, so thank you very much. They've done a pretty good job, I think, uh, in my humble estimation. Uh, I wonder if you can think back about 10 years or so to Hurricane Katrina. Hurricane Katrina was one of the worst storms, I think, um, that probably probably we've seen, seen for many, many years. Um, devastated much of the eastern seaboard of the uh, US. Uh, it also kills about 1,200 people, uh, directly or indirectly. Um, I remember watching the footage on TV, and one thing particularly struck me. Uh, amid all the devastation, uh, the thing that struck me most was watching people turning down an offer of rescue. The waters were surging, the storm was raging, uh, Things were looking pretty grim. Uh, They had boats, they had helicopters coming to uh, draw people out of the danger area. Uh, You'd have thought, if if, if ever there was a moment that you were going to grab a ride on a helicopter or a rescue boat, this was the moment. And yet still, the news showed footage of people refusing an offer of rescue. They wouldn't accept the rescue that was on offer. Seems incredible, doesn't it? Why, Why would you turn down an offer of rescue if you're somebody who's in peril. But in essence, that's the situation that we have in this passage that we're going to have a look at this evening. Uh, The Apostle Paul, who is himself, of course, a Jew, is reflecting on the terrible truth that so many of his fellow Jews have refused the salvation that God has offered them. Uh, If you were here last week, uh, you would have hopefully heard Paul giving an answer from God's side uh, so God uh, explaining, uh, well, Paul explaining, I suppose, uh, through the words of, uh, of the scriptures, how uh, God is sovereign. Uh, he has chosen some for mercy. He has mercy on those whom he'll have mercy. He um, hardens the hearts of those who he hardens. Uh, there's, a, there's a sort of God side to this question. But this week, he sort of turns to the human side of this question as well. There's a human side to why God's people have not believed in him. And I think here he gives us an answer in three parts as to why Israel, the Jews, God's people, have missed out on God's rescue. If you've got a pew Bible, why don't you open it? Uh, We're going to be in uh, Romans uh, chapter 9, page 1136. And I think the first reason that he gives is this. Israel haven't relied on God's grace. They haven't relied on God's grace. Uh, Paul starts by, by summing up what seems to be the, the, the most surprising of situations. This is from verse 30. He says, what then shall we say? Uh, the Gentiles, that is the non-Jews, uh, have spent a lifetime running away from God and ignoring his ways. Uh, by contrast, that the Jews have devoted themselves to trying to please God. How then can it possibly be that the Gentiles have found salvation and yet the Jews have missed out on it. Well, Paul's first answer is that they've missed out because they haven't relied on God's grace. Uh, Verse 32, if you can see, he says, why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, 
but as if it were works. Because they perceive it not by faith, but as if it were works. Put it another way, they tried to earn it. Deep down, they, they believed that somehow, if they just tried hard enough, uh, it, they could be good enough for God. If at the end of their life, uh, on, on the, kind of the, the moral balance, there was just enough stuff on the credit side uh, to outweigh the bad stuff, then they'd be okay. But if there's one thing that Paul's been showing us throughout the book of Romans, it's this, isn't it? We can never earn our salvation. Think back to chapter 3. Paul's already told us, no one will be declared righteous by observing the law. We can only get right with God by his grace. His completely undeserved kindness shown to us in him sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. Uh, Being rescued from sin is a gift of grace. Uh, We can never earn it, whether we're Jews or Gentiles. And all this, says Paul, it really is a truth that that Israel should have known. Uh, Again and again, through the the Old Testament law, uh, through the coming of the prophets, uh, God had made it plain to his people that the way of salvation was by grace. That was the way it worked. You rely on God's grace. It was written into the rhythm of their lives. Every day, the priest would come into the middle of the temple and he would sacrifice animals that would be brought by by people who knew that they'd done something wrong. He would shed the blood and and God, in his kindness, uh, would look forward to the day when Jesus was going to come and shed his blood once and for all. It was written into the rhythm of daily life. It was written into their national life. Every year they would have the Day of Atonement where they would come together and have this mega festival of, uh, of atonement, of getting right with God. They had the festival of the Exodus as well, the Passover, where they would look back to that great moment in their history when God had rescued them from Egypt. And all of it was supposed to point them to this great truth. They couldn't do it for themselves. They had to rely on God's grace. As the prophets came, one by one, again and again, God used them. He promised that one day he was going to do a deeper work of salvation that was going to be better than anything he had ever possibly done before. And yet still they wouldn't listen. They tried to earn what could never be earned. They wouldn't rely on God's grace. There's an old story told about the um, Emperor Napoleon, who apparently uh, had a man brought before him who'd committed some heinous crime, and he sentenced him to the guillotine. Uh, and uh, the man's mother pleaded with the emperor uh, to, uh, to, to show him some mercy. Apparently Napoleon turned around and said, well, he doesn't deserve mercy, he's going to the guillotine. And her words were, sire, if he deserved mercy, it wouldn't be mercy. <laughs> and actually, really, that's a kind of picture of how we are in front of God, really. Uh, the Bible tells us that actually nobody deserves mercy. It wouldn't be mercy if we did deserve it. Uh, all of us have broken God's laws. All of us have turned our back on him, whether we're aware of it or not. Uh, we deserve nothing less than the full punishment of being separated from God for eternity. And, and friends, it's only through relying on the grace of God, shown to us in him sending Jesus to be our substitute on the cross, to take the punishment in our place, that we can be made right with him. We can be counted worthy in his sight. We can be counted righteousness. We can obtain this righteousness that Paul talks about. That was the way it was for Israel. That was the way it is today. 
So if that's the first reason, what's the second? Well, the second reason I think Paul gives us as to uh, where things have gone wrong for Israel is that uh, Israel haven't uh, received God's Son. So they haven't received God's Son. He continues in verse 32. He says, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Uh, We've seen, haven't we, that throughout the Old Testament, God promised that in his own time, he was going to work out salvation for his people. The thing was that not only did God's people refuse to rely on his grace, but they also failed to receive that salvation when it came in the person of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Really famous words that we often read at Christmas from uh, St. John. Uh, He said this, uh, he came, that is Jesus, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Or as Paul puts it it, it here in the words I read, uh, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Yet again, it's it's Paul reminding Israel of truths that they really should have known. Uh, At several points during the Old Testament, God refers to himself and to his salvation as being like a stone, does it particularly in, uh, in the book of Isaiah, uh, in, uh, in those prophecies. Uh, to all those who receive Jesus, he's like a firm foundation stone, uh, a solid base to build a life upon. But to all those who reject him, he is a stumbling stone who will trip them up. Uh, We don't need to waste time worrying about who's being referred to here. Uh, Jesus is very clear that these references are all about him. Uh, He explained that he is the stone, the stone whom God has laid down. Uh, The stone, he says, who is rejected by the world, but who's instead become the capstone of God's new building, the church. And he says that whoever hears his words and whoever obeys him will be building their house on solid rock. Uh, solid rock that will withstand anything that life can throw at it. Uh, someone has remarked that Christianity is the only religion in the world that rests entirely on the person of its founder. Uh, the clue is kind of in the name, isn't it? Uh, we are Christians. We, uh, we follow Christianity, Christianity. Uh, it's said that when uh, the Buddha was dying, uh, he said to his uh, followers, uh, don't worry about me, forget all about me, just remember my teaching. But that doesn't work with Christians. Jesus' teaching is, of course, important. But actually, the religion of Christianity, the faith of Christianity, centers on a person. Uh, What we think of Jesus determines our whole attitude to to, to, to the whole thing. Uh, He is the touchstone, if you like, against which we will know salvation or stumbling. That's the way it's always been. Uh, in, uh, for Christians. Uh, even when Jesus walked the earth, there were many who were astonished by him and, uh, and he gave up everything to follow him. But there were just as many who rejected him and opposed him. Uh, and that pattern, of course, continues today. Uh, for all those who worship Jesus, who call him their Lord and Saviour, uh, there are countless others who know him only as a swear word or some kind of figure of ridicule. It's just as the Bible promised, isn't it? Uh, He's a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And yet, what does Paul say? End of verse 33. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. It's a question, isn't it, that that ultimately none of us can avoid. Uh, At some point in our lives, each one of us 
must decide what we think of Jesus. What do we make of him? Maybe we read about his works and we listen to his words, but in our hearts we just can't accept them. I mean, who is this man who has the audacity to claim that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life? That is a claim of astounding boldness, isn't it? Uh, who, is the, who is this man who claims that the only way to find our life is to follow him and lose it? Who is this man whose life ended in the dusty, sweaty, sordid, sordid bloody business of the cross? What kind of a king is that? What kind of a god would go through that? Maybe if we're thinking in those terms, Jesus has become the stumbling stone, just as he promised, and he was for Israel. They could never believe that that was the way that God had chosen to save his people. But yet to others, he's the cornerstone. He's the foundation on whom everything rests. Friends, what, what will you do with Jesus this evening? Will you reject him? Or will you receive him? Is he going to be your stumbling stone? Or is he going to be your cornerstone? I don't know. What's the third thing that uh, Paul draws out for us here? Uh, He says this. uh, The third reason that Israel have rejected uh, the rescue is because they haven't recognised God's work. They haven't recognised God's work. Uh, some months ago, I, I had some visitors who came to knock on the door, and it was two, uh, two people, a man and a woman, uh, and they asked me this question. Uh, young man, are you going to heaven? I was quite flattered they called me a young man, uh, but it was a good question to be asked, wasn't it? Are you going to heaven? Uh, the problem was that actually, as we started uh, talking, uh, we realised that actually they didn't really have very much to say on the matter. Uh, they were, of course, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, They were doing their quota of door knocking uh, that week. They happened to be choosing Trinity Street. Uh, They were knocking to to see if they could start conversations. Uh, I have to say, as they left, I was very impressed by their enthusiasm and quite convicted, actually, if I'm honest. Uh, Their enthusiasm was incredibly impressive, but it was mistaken. They call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses, but they don't know Jehovah, and they've got no way of knowing whether I'm going to heaven or, frankly, whether they're going to heaven. Uh, That's the truth of it, sadly. Uh, It's mistaken uh, zeal, we could say. Their enthusiasm is impressive, but it's mistaken. Uh, Paul here is agonising over his fellow Jews. And you can see that, can't you, from verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Uh, These guys are his people. They're his family. They're his countrymen. He cannot bear to see them walking away and rejecting God as they're doing They're zealous for God, he says, Uh, verse 2. I can testify about them. I know them, that they're zealous for God, just as Paul had been zealous in his own time. Uh, Their enthusiasm for God knows no bounds. And yet, sadly, ultimately, it's a mistaken zeal. Because he says, doesn't he, verse 2, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. It's not according to knowledge. What does Paul mean when he says that? Well, actually, as we read on, we can start to see, because he explains it to us. He says from verse 3, Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Uh, What he means is that Israel had failed to recognize God's work. 
instead of accepting uh, God's righteousness that was on offer in Christ, they stubbornly persisted in trying to earn it by keeping the law. They didn't recognise that God had always stamped on the law a kind of best before date. Uh, It was only going to work up to a certain point. It had a best before date, as it were. He had a new work planned, a better work, that would mean that it was fulfilled and finished with. And that work, of course, is when he sent Jesus. Paul tells us here, doesn't he? He says, uh, Jesus, Christ, is the end of the law, that there might be righteousness for everyone he believes. Jesus is the end of the law because he's the one to whom the law ultimately pointed. Uh, The whole point of the law was to point people to to salvation that was on offer in Jesus, because they could never keep the law. They could never live up to its standards. But he's also the end of the law because he's the one who's perfectly kept it. None of us this evening have kept the law in its entirety, just as nobody else ever has. Apart from Jesus, he kept it perfectly, he lived a perfect life, and he fulfilled its demands perfectly when he died on the cross. Uh, We're not saved through keeping the law, but through trusting in Jesus who has fulfilled it on our behalf and who now gives us his spirit to write it on our hearts so that we can obey it in a way that uh, the Old Testament believers never could. Uh, the sad truth is that Israel didn't recognise that in sending Jesus, God was doing a wonderful, new, deeper, better work. And Paul says that the sad truth is that in doing so, in failing to recognise that God was at work, they've missed out on salvation. All their religious effort, all their enthusiasm, all their zeal has come to nothing. They couldn't recognise what God was doing. Uh, Apparently the army have a um, sort of slogan or a saying, uh, which is that ignorance is no excuse. Ignorance is no excuse. I think it's true in lots of areas of life. It's probably true in the army, I'm sure. But it's actually also true spiritually. And uh, Paul is making that clear here. Uh, Whether we're uh, we're Jewish or whether we're non-Jewish Gentiles, uh, whoever fails to recognise God's work displayed in the good news of Jesus are without excuse. If we can't recognise God at work, if we try to earn our salvation by keeping the law with good deeds instead of trusting in Jesus, then we will remain under God's just judgement. Nothing has changed. The glorious good news of the gospel is that it's the end of legalism. The law has been fulfilled. When Jesus came and died on the cross, he fully satisfied the just demands of the law in every single way so that all who put their trust in him uh, can be made right with God, can know the righteousness for everyone who believes. And that's God's work on our behalf, doing in Jesus what we can never do for ourselves. If only we'll recognise it and accept it, then we too will know that righteousness. We'll be made right with God. We're declared okay, more than okay, uh, uh, holy in his sight. In the good news of Jesus, God's offering us a rescue this evening. It's a rescue we don't deserve. It's a rescue from our sin, from our rebellion, and all from the consequences that it brings. Friends, will we accept it this evening? Will we rely on God's outrageous grace? Will we receive his crucified son? Will we recognise his astonishing work on our behalf? Christ is the end of the law, that there might be righteousness for everyone he believes. Let's pray.
Our God, we praise you so much for the truth of these words. Uh, They're not easy words to hear or to understand. But we do praise you so much that Christ is the end of the law, that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. We thank you so much that you have done in Jesus what we could never do for ourselves. Uh, We thank you that he came in fulfillment of the promises. Uh, He died on the cross. He fulfilled the law. Uh, He made it possible for us to be acceptable in your sight. And we pray this evening, whether we are Jew or whether we are Gentile, that we would come to see that for ourselves. We would trust him. uh, We would love him. And we would be with you uh, for all eternity. Amen.